our platform is built for professionals, for business owners, and for students. So it matches them with people that would be highly relevant to help them achieve those goals. These conversations then take place uh, in an audio or a video format. And it was just a user feedback call, you know, just to get some insights. We do that on a regular basis and we talk to about, you know, about 100 users every week. So in that call, you know, we're just talking to them, how's your experience been? He's been on our platform, he's done like 30 meetings uh, so far. And, you know, in, in passing, he just said, yeah, so I met my co-founder. Hello, everyone. Ashok here. Thank you for tuning in to this 22nd episode of Indian Startup Stories, a podcast thriving to bring out experiences and insights from entrepreneurs across India. Today, our guest is Vivan Puri, co-founder of Work Network, a professional networking platform for businesses and students, helping them to tap the potential of businesses via curated networking and meetings. In this episode, Vivan shares his varied background and education in economics and political science in the US, his navigation through entrepreneurial journey, secret formulas which worked in customer acquisition and retention, revenue model of the business, continuous innovation, organic growth, long-term vision, his experiences in pulling funding and guidance in the early days, interesting customer stories and pride moments and much more valuable information for us to take away. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Vivan. Thank you for coming on Indian Startup Stories today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, really excited to have a conversation with you. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Vivan, can you please share about your background on the academics and your initial career start? Sure. Uh, so my background is uh, I studied economics and political science from New York University. Uh, thereafter, I came back to India. The plan was always to actually go back and uh, do a JD program, which is a legal program uh, there in the U.S., uh, so came back to India, I started working uh, in a variety of fields. So I worked in uh, business advisory, where I spent the majority uh, amount of my time, where I worked with a few SMEs, startups on consultancy side of things, so like evaluating deals uh, and working on those deal flow. Also at that time, got to work um, on uh, a deal with uh, with Unichem closely. Uh, you know, they were going through some transactions uh, and just, you know, uh, shadowing uh, the team uh, alongside those deals. After that, I got to work on a few other fields as well. So I worked briefly at an NGO as a research associate uh, where I wrote a paper on uh, one of the laws that had come out at the time. Uh, worked briefly in marketing with TEDx uh, where we did one of the largest uh, events uh, of all time in India, a TEDx event. Uh, and yeah, so the, there have been two to three things that I've done. And briefly, actually, while I was working at, uh, in the business advisory field, uh, did a small startup or a MVP of a startup uh, in fraction ownership. Okay, that's a wonderful quick background and a quick start. Nice. So moving on further on the company, what is Work Network? Uh, what do you do there and what's the motto of the company, if you can elaborate? Yeah, so uh, starting with what we do, uh, our platform is built for professionals, for business owners like yourself, and for students, students who are engineers or uh, business, uh, you know, studying or doing an MBA program. Uh, individuals that want to connect with other professionals, either to trade knowledge, knowledge about the industry they're in, the work that they're doing, uh, or to explore synergies, synergies where they can come together and work in the future, come together and create content like we're doing today, or make referrals for one another. What Work Network does for these people for the goals of trading knowledge and exploring synergies is instantly connects them with people that are relevant to them. So it matches them with people uh, that would be highly relevant to help them achieve those goals. These conversations then take place 
uh, in an audio or a video format. Uh, and they can either be in a group of up to six people uh, or a one-on-one -on -one conversation like we're having today, which takes place in a video format. So that's in a very nutshell of what Work Network does. Uh, so our goal or the motto of the company is to make it instantly possible for somebody to connect with a person uh, and have that conversation. And what I mean by that is that today it's a three-step process. So you come onto Work Network after you sign up and you give us some information. And maybe later we can dive deep into how actually the matching algorithm works. Uh, so you sign up to our platform. You click a button saying start a conversation. Uh, you pick who you want to meet. So I want to meet a business advisor, a financial expert, and maybe an investor to discuss a, a particular topic. That topic could be product management, startup funding, or building a business and the time that works best for me. So it's a three-step process over there. After you do that, that's about it. Then our platform goes to work. Our matching engine uh, determines who would be the best possible person for Ashok, assuming he's opted in, to have that conversation. It then sends an introduction uh, to you of your match. Uh, and then all you have to do is just come in and be part of that conversation. So that's what, uh, what it does. Uh, you know, we really see ourselves as the next generation of LinkedIn. Uh, you know, but unlike LinkedIn, using ML and voice to connect people to build those meaningful relationships. Okay, so it's a networking platform purely for professionals uh, to build their own uh, career or business further. Wonderful. Just curious, uh, and what is the reason behind the name Work Network? <laughs> uh, so that, that's an interesting question. So actually, we have... Uh, to date, I own like 25 domain names, which I'm not very proud to say is because every day you just think, okay, this can be the name. And then you, uh, you know, try that out. And Work Network was supposed to be a placeholder name. Uh, but then I guess, I just guess we just launched with that and continued to go. So, uh, okay. so that's just a broad level definition. But actually, uh, our goal when we started off in 2019 was actually we were building a freelance platform with a community. At that time, we didn't really know how the community would engage. But both Vignesh and I, who's my co-founder, knew that we wanted to bring professionals together. And, you know, the way that is happening on LinkedIn or happening offline is not the most efficient. You know, relevancy is not taken care of and it's not really using the technology that's already out there. Uh, so that's why work network work was the freelance place and network was, you know, building that community. Uh, now, uh, you know, we are primarily just in the networking side, as you said. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's how the name came out. Okay, wonderful. I guess it's been uh, one and a half years that you started and uh, how has the customer adoption been so far? Can you talk through the approach uh, that you have handled so far? What formula has actually worked for you in terms of both customer acquisition and also customer retention? Yeah, so that, that's a great question uh, and actually a long-winded one. Uh, so first talking about customer acquisition. So this actually leads to one of the mistakes we made in the start. When we were building the freelance platform, we built out like a full-fledged product, launched that, and, you know, thought that this is what customers would need and never really interacted with them in that four to five month process. And when we were building that product, uh, needless to say, we got some traction. We got a couple of thousand users using the freelance platform, got a couple of transactions done, but it wasn't the kind of adoption that we were hoping for. And then the feedback wasn't what we were hoping for, right? Because it wasn't 10x better than the next possible alternative, whether that's Fiverr, TopTal or otherwise. So... When, when we did launch that, as I said, we always wanted to build that community. Now, since we had this curated list of two, 3,000 people, we were trying to pivot and not pivot, but try and, trying out different experiments, you know, giving them a feed where they could come together and share content, uh, you know, uh, trying out a video format. You know, these are all short experiments that we did. 
And then one of those experiments were that we just said, you know, we have these bunch of people. What if we just brought to, brought them together in a Google Meet? And let's see what happens in that conversation. So this was about August of last year. So mm-hmm. all we did is we just sent out an email to our users, uh, you know, without any curation, without anything uh, done. And we said, hey, would you like to be part of this group conversation? We're going to get together 10, 20 people. Uh, and, you know, this is what we're going to be talking about. And that went really well. Uh, so our first conversation lasted about like three hours on the platform. We were expecting that to be about oh. 15 to 25 minutes. Uh, and it was, <laughs> uh, like we went into a wider uh, array of topics and you're just seeing how people engaged. Then after that, the feedback we got is that after meeting in a group, a lot of these people actually reinteracted with each other, ended up working together uh, and, you know, staying in touch. And we're like, you know, this can really work. So we tried that again next week. And then for the entire month, we just did uh, a couple of these very ad hoc sessions. Uh, over time, we would just con- continue to build this in that month, like, you know, how to send the introductions. Earlier, I was just manually writing it, copy pasting it to Gmail and sending it from my account, uh, you know, because we hadn't built any infrastructure for that. Uh, so, yeah. So basically what happened then is that we started getting good feedback. Users started liking uh, this service more so than the freelance platform. And then we started building out the product, uh, so to speak. So then to answer your question in terms of how we have acquired customers, so a large part of it has been just organic, being in the early stages, word of mouth. Uh, we have not, we actually just built our referral system last week. Uh, we had till two date, we've had no kind of referral system. The only way you could refer a user is actually tell Ashok that, you know, there's this platform called Work Network, actually copy paste the URL and send it to them. So there's no one click referral or any kind of incentives to do it. Uh, despite that, about 60 to 70% of our growth has been completely organic. Uh, then we started uh, trying out some kind of customer acquisition channels. Uh, so we tried out Facebook. Uh, and, you know, Facebook has a wide variety of people. I mean, you're building a curated network, uh, you know, that might not ideally suit uh, uh, your platform. But the advantage we have is that the algorithm automatically does that. When a user signs up, where the information they give us, where third-party information we're able to collect, we are automatically able to classify a user. So theoretically today, I could have a user that is you know, just uh, not that he is, but let's say you could have a guy like Elon Musk coming and meeting people that are highly relevant to him on our platform. And you can have a student that's very early in his journey and it won't impact each other's experience. And to a large part of that is uh, driven by the algorithm uh, in, in between. Very interesting to know that. They're taking a little step back. Uh, you are backed up with education from globally renowned institutions, uh, be it a summer program in Harvard or bachelor's in New York University for political science and government. It's 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 a quite uh, very different topic. And later on with st- a short stints in the NGO and also with the charter accountants. And now uh, founder for your own company, right? Uh, I guess this is the second company you founded. Uh, I want to understand how you process your thoughts to bring the ideas to reality and uh, what's your style to make it happen? Interesting question. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've said, so I've had like, I've done like a diversity of things, right? As you said, there's marketing, there's legal, there's uh, business advisory, there's real estate Mm -hmm. uh, and all for short periods of time. But despite them being short periods of time and being, uh, you know, being very briefly associated, I actually did get a lot out of it uh, when I was doing it uh, and actually doing that work uh, over there. And I didn't know that at the time, uh, but each one of those experiences have somehow lent to the way we actually go about building out the product today, or at least my thought process uh, in when we're building the product uh, today. And I can dive deeper into each one of them. So when you are one of the founders of the company, especially at this early stage, 
you're doing a variety of things, right? Uh, you're looking at everything from uh, marketing, not uh, looking at marketing. You're looking at uh, developing the product and the designs that you want. You are trying to inform the algorithm. Obviously, I'm not a tech founder, so just getting into those discussions and having an understanding of it. Uh, you know, you're looking at customer feedback and customer interactions, so on and so forth, right? And obviously, you're doing research to ensure that you know you're going with the market trends and everything is on pace. Every one of our experiences, if you look back at it, uh, you know, when you work at an NGO, you do research, right? And research, end of the day, has the same skills, the diligence of being able to read hundreds and thousands of papers uh, and condensing that into a short document to inform uh, exactly what you want to do or what you want to write about. When you work in a place like TEDx and you're marketing some uh, marketing a, uh, uh, an event, uh, you get good ideas on, you know, how to actually go about building marketing strategies uh, and ideate on that. When you're working in business advisory, obviously, you get a good idea of looking at the fundamentals of the company and ensuring that you're building a company that's actually sustainable and not something that's you know going to die out uh, as a result of an unsustainable business model. And obviously, having that four-month uh, tenure of doing that short startup with MVP, I actually realized a lot of the mistakes that I made over there, but at least I didn't re repeat uh, going forward. So, uh, so yeah, so just to give you an idea in terms of the question that you asked is that how do I actually think about product? So one is that experiences that I've had really guide the way that I go about approaching each problem that uh, arises. Uh, but I'm really lucky that we have a great team, right? So if you look at our team, everybody is an expert in uh, their domain. Uh, you know, whether it's on the engineering side, we have Abhishek, Vishant, Ram, all with like 10 plus years of experience. Uh, so there's... You know, they guide it themselves and they have the independence to determine how to go about developing it. On the marketing side, Rajat uh, is already there. He's leading marketing. Uh, and then, you know, very lucky to have two great co-founders, uh, you know, Vignesh, who's uh, obviously the CTO and looks very heavily at the tech side. Uh, and then Arvind, who just recently joined us, uh, you know, he has about 11 years of experience uh, and he helps with the financials and the strategy as uh, that part. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, my role primarily is just to provide additional inputs, additional guidance to this, uh, to the various aspects of the company. Uh, but luckily, we have people that are extremely knowledgeable uh, in their own spaces and, you know, can take the final decisions uh, over there. Okay, that's wonderful. So how long it actually took uh, for you to uh, realize your own product, be it an MVP or a full-fledged product uh, from, the, from your ideation phase? Yeah, so my role particularly where I really enjoy uh, my time is working on the product side. So if you get me start talking about product and product ideas and innovation, that's going to be a much longer podcast. But as I said, in August, we launched that very, you know, the Google meets and, you know, manually sending out the emails. And since then, to be honest, it's all been driven by customers. Like customers tell us, uh, you know, I would love my calendar to get blocked. We go back and make that innovation. I would love to have a mobile app where I can just see who I'm going to be meeting. We go and build that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I want the ability to reschedule. We go and build that. You know, so it's it's really been driven by customers. So there hasn't been like, this is the final version of the product. Uh, in fact, just mm -hmm. two weeks back, we launched a beta of a groups feature, uh, you know, right now on the app. And that's been really exciting uh, to see. So as I said, you can get matched one-on-one -on -one or in a group. We are doing groups offline uh, off our platform. Now it's on our platform. Uh, and what it allows users to do other than just getting matched 
is just explore the list of conversations that are upcoming and you can join in and actively participate and have a conversation with the people in those groups. Again, the feed that Ashok would see, Vivan would see and somebody else would see is going to be very different because it's relevant to the individual. So that's again a long answer to your question. Uh, but I can't tell you that there was a particular date when our product is done because even today it's not done. It's not going to be done one year from today and not five years from today. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, uh, we're going to continue to innovate, get ideas from our customers and also we have a lot of ideas in terms of what we want to build out. Okay, that's nice. I guess uh, definitely that group's introduction is going to make a difference when people get along and talk through their ideas. I guess that's a big platform. Nice. Uh, you mentioned that you started with your co-founders, uh, be it a tech or a product side. Um, how did you start with the funding? Uh, did you bootstrap along with the co-founding team or any any sort of uh, uh, external financial help you managed to pull in through? Yeah, so this was actually one of the mistakes I made. I raised money a little too early, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, going back, I probably wouldn't have raised uh, our angel rounds. We actually raised it. Uh, very early on, one month into, you know, having the idea, wanting to build out the freelance marketplace and all of that. Uh, we had a good network, you know, we reached out to them, we told them that we want to build this. And obviously, we wanted to fundraise, uh, not knowing, uh, not knowing better. And the reason I say it was a mistake is, uh, if we had less money, we would have probably built less, launched it earlier, got greater feedback, and then, you know, uh, built out uh, what actually we're doing today, uh, you know, hopefully we're going in that direction. But the way we managed to actually grow our money, uh, sorry, uh, get the money is actually via networking. Uh, so everybody that's part of our cap table today are people that we met using our own individual uh, networks. Um, they believe more in the team than the product or the service we're building, I guess. Uh, and, you know, they were they were one of our uh, early on investors and uh, we're really grateful for their support. And more than the money, you know, uh, they have really guided us like, you know, Jendra Shah, who's one of our investors. Really, he takes out like uh, every two weeks, he takes out time and talks to the entire team and he gives us like pieces of advice, which have been super helpful uh, to us. Okay, so you went with the venture capitalist or any kind of an incubation platform uh, to uh, back you up? No, so we didn't do that uh, because to be honest, our angel round closed in a matter of like one and a half weeks. Uh, so we just had a few conversations. People already knew us in our network. We had those warm relationships with them. Uh, so it was just a matter of like, you know, we want to build this, uh, two line, mm -hmm. two line negotiation about what the valuation can be. Uh, and that was it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any particular uh, instances in the angel round and how did you actually get through, uh, which was interesting and you still remember those days? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, actually, so the way it worked in our angel round, uh, what's actually interesting is that, so we approached Jendra first, he was actually my boss in the company that I was working in, uh, you know, he was head of the business advisory uh, department uh, and I just pitched it to him and, uh, you know, I'd worked with him for a year and I guess we got to know each other pretty well in that period of time. Uh, and he actually found the other uh, investors to come on and invest in that period of one week. You know, he just picked up the phone, called a couple of people he knows, asked me to pitch it to them, got somebody else to validate the idea as well because none of them were into deep tech or anything like that. Uh, yeah, and then they did that. So basically what I'm trying to say is that, you know, find a great lead, get somebody who uh, idly you have a warm connect with in the angel rounds. And you can do that via work network, meet uh, meet relevant investors or people that could be uh, evangelists for your product. And, uh, you know, they'll help you do the rest. Okay, okay. That's interesting. As you started with the preceding fund, that, that's how it moved on. Exactly. Okay, that's nice. How were the days... Uh, 
before you started revenue generation though you are one and a half years company to realize yourself that you are on the right track and to sense that on the right track uh, how long did it take for you or was it a short time to see yourself that uh, you plunged into the right area yeah so we aren't a revenue generating company yet our product is still uh, very much free but the metric that's important for us is retention rate and you know defining retention mm-hmm. rate as users do more than x number of meetings on our platform uh so in terms of how long that took uh, so when we launched our product people liked what we were doing and they liked the service that we were offering and that was great uh you know we started getting more and more users uh and obviously you started hitting problems of scale uh initially you know for the first five uh you know for the first 100 200 matches we actually did that manually uh translating that to the algorithm is when we saw like a dip right because suddenly it's all automated and uh you know there's no kind of manual check happening so that happened it took a dip in terms of you know the relevancy of the matches uh and then since then we've been tweaking it uh, over there but i would say that after 3 to 4 months of actually having the product out there we started getting a great retention metric which is above the benchmark of the social space that we are in uh so we have a retention metric of about 80% on our platform 70 to 80% uh which if you compare that to uh, other platforms or social platforms that's usually about 30 to 40% is the benchmark that where you hit so that's been great but uh it's actually hard for me to answer this question because as i said uh we we are constant, constantly experimenting we keep making tweaks to our algorithm you know keep keep impacting certain metrics and you know it's like one or two tweaks that we make to one engine and the kinds of matches you're going to have are going to drastically change uh and to do that we have to see them the feedback that you get then reimplement it alongside alongside the algorithmic changes we are constantly launching new things right we are launching the groups feature which is a new experience altogether uh, uh on our platform you know it's happening in audio it's happening on the app uh over there you can also discover and join into conversations so uh i would never say that there's a certain point again like it's a that you know that we have hit product market fit we are not yet at product market fit if i have to be completely honest uh but hopefully if we continue with the retention metrics of 70 to 80% uh with this groups feature over the next 2 3 months then we can really say that you know at least the two formats that we have out there are really working and then how can we drive up the engagement on that as well okay nice nice so uh, as a founder how did you put the structure for the revenue generation and uh, what model you are forcing is it a free plus premium the premium version that you are starting out with so what's the structure in place yeah that that's that's another great question so you know uh, if arvind was here he could answer this much better than i can since he has a finance background and he, he needs that uh but there are two parts that we uh, we're going to have one is going to be advertisements and another is going to be subscription on our platform in terms of subscription what we mean by that is that today we're able to curate great matches for you as a user so a show comes in he wants to create content he wants to meet other founders uh, or other business owners he tells us that and the time uh and we're able to curate a match for you you know it takes into consideration the industry they are in what stage they are in what stage you are at and create those matches what we discovered is that users also want further say that not only do i want to meet a founder i want to meet a founder that perhaps leads the marketing of the company who's a particular decision maker on the company if you're doing funding uh so the ability to actually give more granular selection in terms of stakeholder power is something that we plan to add to the freemium onto the subscription uh model over there uh, on the platform alongside other b2b offerings as well since we haven't built that out i'm not going to go too much into depth uh, uh for today's call on that 
Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a subscription plus an ad-based revenue. We don't plan to start monetizing right now. I think it's more about, uh, it's a data game, like in terms of understanding data, ability to create those cohort maps, uh, you know, and uh, figure out what parameters work, not only in India, but across regions, across sectors. Uh, today, we're very much in the professional space, but we do want to widen that audience as well uh, going forward. So only once we can, you know, validate it across a few sectors, do we plan to start monetizing. Okay, that's nice. You have plans for a B2B sector as well. That's interesting. Nice. Uh, so you being a virtual platform and in the current times, all meetings are happening over internet, right? Uh, do you have any instances or experiences where people used your platform and uh, they were able to build a relationship for investors or be it founders uh, to start any business deals? Uh, any interesting stories to share? Yeah, I think one that I recently shared uh, also is I'll go with that again because I find that one the most interesting. So uh, I was doing a call with uh, uh, an individual, a user on our platform uh, called uh, Shreyas. And it was just a user feedback call, you know, just to get some insights. We do that on a regular basis. And we talk to about, you know, about 100 users every week. Uh, so in that call, you know, we're just talking to him. How's your experience been? He's been on our platform. He's done like 30 meetings uh, so far. And, you know, in, in passing, he just said, yeah, so I met my co-founder. And it didn't register to me at the time that he's met his co-founder, not because that's not possible, but here's the, uh, here's the information that was that, that in my mind, why it didn't register is because he works in the drone engineering space. Now, if you track that space, there are about 30,000 people or 30,000 jobs in the drone engineering space. Uh, in India, you know, it, it, in US, it only came in 2015 where, uh, 2017 where drone, uh, you know, drones became like a thing, uh, even though they've been around for a while. And then obviously in India, a little bit later. So it's, so it's safe to say that it's a emerging and a very niche space, right? Uh, mm-hmm. so he actually met somebody on our platform that not only is as passionate and as knowledgeable about that space, about drone engineering as he is, uh, but also, uh, fills the need that he wanted in his company, which is somebody who has, deep expertise in marketing and otherwise. So the combination, imagine he came onto the platform, he met somebody who has the same uh, experience as him, has the, uh, has the skills that he lacks, uh, and now they're lo- launching a venture together. So that's always been a, that's been one of the most exciting ones that I've heard of recently uh, on our platform. Nice. Yeah. Uh, other that's than wonderful that, to know, yeah. You know, other than that, there are multiple things, you know, where people have actually come together, created podcast series, uh, they've come together mm-hmm. and done transactions thereafter. Uh, but, you know, those are like those, we have multiples of those, but this one is like uh, one of those uh, more niche examples, which I like to say. Okay, okay, that, that's that's pretty good to know. Uh, you have a customer success story uh, before even starting the revenue generation, which is in the pipeline. Nice. So, uh, because now it is VC backed, uh, you have the liberty to actually stretch and uh, postpone your revenue generation starting date. So, how does these things work uh, for any startup, which is a VC backed one, and uh, what is the time that you or your investors are giving for the product to realize and to start revenue generations? Is there any pre-planned phase that is in mind or you wanted to go and try it out uh, as and when it happens? That's a good question. Uh, I don't think there's like a answer across all sectors, across all startups. I can give very reference to mine because I know my mm-hmm. startup very well. Uh, because like if you're a SaaS company, you're probably going to start monetizing very early because you want to have five clients and they're going to be enterprise, uh, you know, enterprise sure. SaaS or whatever. Uh, but see, in the consumer tech space, uh, everybody has a different model of building it out. You know, people will wait to reach scale and then start monetizing. Uh, 
but we want to have a business that actually has very strong fundamentals because uh, you know yc says this that until a user is paying for your product you don't really know uh, if the product is valuable right obviously you can get that via retention metrics and all of that but end of the day when a user is actually paying for your service you know you're doing something that's worth solving for uh, going forward so for us at least uh, there's no benchmark that you have to start monetizing at this point otherwise uh, what we basically did is that uh, we put it down in Excel. We said that this is the rate we're growing. If this is the kind of marketing we do. This is the kind of organic growth we have. These are the numbers we're going to hit. Uh, and then we backtracked it that if we start monetizing at this rate uh, and assuming you have a certain percentage of users paying, right? Obviously, 100% of your users will not be paying unless you make it a completely closed product, uh, which we wouldn't do because a large part of ours is network effects and data, which uh, goes against the idea of closing the product completely. Uh, so we did that kind of calculation and we tried to see that at what point, if we start monetizing, will it actually become beneficial for us in terms of uh, we'll actually start, you know, covering our costs, uh, barring marketing costs uh, and, uh, you know, become uh, basically sustainable on our own uh, over there. So we basically defined what is that number of users we have to hit on our platform. Uh, and then at that point, if we start monetizing, does it actually make a sense or value? So that's the way we worked it. You know, uh, there are pros and cons of that. You know, you could always do like get 100 users to pay just to validate the idea. Uh, but I think in the consumer tech space, that wouldn't make sense. It's just add too much friction at this early stage uh, to do that. It makes sense more that when you can actually generate that 100K, 200K of revenue, uh, you know, then, then it will actually mean something, uh, you know, versus just two, three hundred dollars. That wouldn't make sense. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, taking a little bit on the algorithm space, I guess your product is uh, predominantly on AI space and uh, it's all the al algorithms that are uh, going behind to find out the match. Any uh, bit of more information on that front, uh, what kind of parameters and what are the aspects that you see to match two different people coming with the same interest and they want to discuss? Not all information are available uh, in all platform, right? If you are pulling the profiles from LinkedIn, um, it, it again depends upon what description a person or a user has actually put in there. And uh, if you are pulling the profile from third party uh, Facebook, and again, the description uh, varies. So what are the parameters extra comes there if, if you wanted to make the association between two different uh, people to make the match? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, but before I answer that, let me just uh, you know, highlight some things. One, two, two things actually. One, we do not scrape any data. So we don't mm -hmm. run any kind of uh, malware to kind of scrape data from LinkedIn, Facebook, otherwise, even though those are available and we could easily do it, uh, we rely on data that users give us. So only when you associate your LinkedIn uh, or something like that on our platform uh, and you pick up and put that description into our thing is when we will use that data. So mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing we've been clear about from day one. So actually, when we started off, you know, we didn't want to ask users their introduction or anything like that as well, because uh, that adds friction. So we would manually write their description for them after only only if they gave us their LinkedIn the permission to write their introduction for them right uh rather than running any kind of scraping software or anything like that so that's one thing that we've been very clear about from day one so i just want to highlight that uh, because i don't know if that came across uh wrong yeah that's interesting yeah um so yeah so then coming to the second part in terms of how we actually do it uh and i'm obviously not a tech person and vignesh can go deep into how it works uh in that before again i'm going to preface this by saying that we haven't built out an ai yet there is a way to become an AI platform. Uh, I don't know why everybody in 
the early spaces uh, you know want to claim to be ai because end of the day not care if your ashok doesn't care if you're using ai or not using ai he cares about the match he's getting right how good is the meeting and conversing how you set it up okay that's cool first time i heard it but beyond that nobody really cares uh, but yeah i've seen like there are a couple of startups in the space they have not more than a landing page uh, and one engineer uh, who's doing web development uh, but claim to be ai right uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what the fascination over there is uh, so yeah so there is a play for ai that it is going to be, become important to process data and build those recommendation engines at time uh, but one the tech is also not there yet okay in terms of being able to predict predict exactly who a person wants to meet using ai artificial intelligence and using just uh, you know a few neural networks i don't think the tech is there yet uh, but what we do, do do use is data and ml which are a little bit different a little bit simpler a little bit more doable uh, at this stage and actually what's required on the platform uh how we do it is four simple things and i'm going to explain it in the easiest format actually i know it also in the easiest format uh since i'm not a tech person uh it's very simple so a user comes on to the platform a show comes on to the platform and he gives us certain information this information is feeds into our recommendation engine this is the very basic base layer that if a show is a founder he's working in the content media industry he has this objective this years of experience so on and so forth uh he should theoretically get matched with a user who's like this like maybe a founder who's also in the early stages leading marketing so on and so forth that's the recommendation engine at the very very base layer so that's the first thing that it'll do when a show comes into the platform uh then the second part of what it does is cohort data so what it does is it stops over there and then looks at who else is similar to a show on our platform what kind of experiences have they had what kind of matches they have had and what has been their retention rate after those kind of matches that they have had right so what is doing is learning from the experiences of the community rather than just looking at ashok as an individual on the platform at this stage so that's the second part in terms of understanding who is ashok more similar to and then altering that recommendation engine uh, from there number 3 is so using this it sets up your first meeting so this is assuming this is your first meeting on the platform number 3 is that after that meeting is where the reinforcement learning or active learning comes into play so ashok shares certain feedback you know this match was great in terms of it helped me achieve my objective i'm likely to reengage to create content uh, and the conversation was highly engaging it uses that feedback then to look at ashok now as an individual so that even though ashok might have been similar to a certain other individual in the same space as him obviously his preferences his requirements what he is looking to do and people he is going to converse with are individual to himself so that's where it learns from the feedback you share and then fourth is actually we have a article section where you can read articles while you're having the conversation you know we try and you know pick up certain keywords assuming users give us the permission to do that if they want a transcript of their call and using those kind of things we are able to further understand about your show so there are four uh, it's a four pronged approach uh, you know one is the recommendation engine the second part of it is the cohort analysis the third part of it is the active learning of the feedback loops and the fourth part of it is ancillary data uh, that you give us on the platform uh, using which we are able to clear your mind 
Okay, that's nice. So you're creating a feedback loop so that uh, the algorithm keeps improving. Okay, yeah. that's pretty good. And uh, coming to the adoption uh, from the customers and the way you look at the data, uh, because you being a data company, uh, what are the data or the analytics that you gather and uh, any any customer success stories or the testimonials where you feel that this actually made uh, the point for excelling and uh, making a right match? Uh, any bright moment for you to identify a business a potential business for people so yeah so i think there were like a bunch of questions in that process and i'll try and answer it in two parts in terms of what is the data we track and number two is that uh what is the most important one for us uh, so one just to preface that is we made a mistake again in the early days we were tracking uh every single data point because there is mixed panel which gives us every single thing that we want and that kind of confuses your decision making right uh when you have so many data points uh you don't look at, you don't know exactly which is the most important one, uh, which one you should be looking at and how they're working with each other. So after experimenting, we realized there are only two data points that are very important in our space. One is retention and depends on how you define retention on your platform. And number two is what your growth rate is. And that is obviously bifurcated by organic and paid growth. If you look at these two, three things, that's more than uh, enough at the early stages to identify uh, whether your company is doing well or not, at least for us, at least in this space. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's the uh, in terms of the data we track. In terms of the second half of your question, in terms of uh, what is the most important for users, uh, I would say the primary metric for us over there is that how likely is a user to re-engage with their match? Because end of the day, we don't want you to have a conversation on the surface level and then never meet again, right? So like if Ashok and I had a conversation a few weeks back and we never came together and created this podcast, that conversation would have been yeah, well and good, uh, but nothing will really come out of it. Or if Ashok doesn't say that he actually learned something in the conversation after having it uh, with me, uh, or I didn't learn something from him, then again, the conversation has been very surface level and not a goal of our company. Uh, so that's the second most important metric that in how likely are you to re-engage with your match? Uh, you know, that's been a great data point. We have 80% of our users plan to re-engage uh, with their match, uh, primarily around three different things. One, to either make referrals. So I met Ashok, I would love to refer him to somebody else. Uh, in my network. Uh, number two is to come together and create content actually with one another. And number three is to actually do transactions or work together on the business side. So I guess uh, those are three data, uh, that's the data point and those are the sub subsidiary sub metrics that we look at. Okay, that's nice. Uh, so what are the sales and marketing strategies which worked for you so far? And uh, how has it fueled your journey so far? It's very simple. Uh, it's Rajat. That's one word who's ahead of market. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty simple, yeah. Uh, uh, no, but uh, no, again, but to be honest, like I've never seen a guy who wakes up and sleeps marketing, right? Uh, any mm. conversation you have with them is all about marketing. And those are the kind of people that you need, as I was talking about earlier. Uh, they're obsessed by uh, their role in the company. And as a result, they're able to bring out uh, an excellence in it. And, you know, he's hired somebody who's working with him as an intern also. And that guy's also as obsessed, right, Yash? Uh, so which has been great. But uh, so let me highlight a little bit of the strategies that they've been using. For us, the biggest challenge has been educating users in terms of this is a new thing, right? I can just click a few buttons and suddenly I'm actually going to meet somebody, actually have a conversation with them, which is a new thing, especially for the sector we're in, which is the SME professional sector. You know, startups are quick to adopt it. So one is about educating people and using uh, illustrations and uh, media that can actually easily do that. 
we haven't spent too much time on like building out an Instagram or Twitter following all of that. I think too many people are trying to play that game. And if you just calculate the returns in terms of engagement to translating to user base, translated to retained users, you'll find that the time to uh, time to uh, effort to uh, success is very low. So as a result of that, what Rajat has done is that he's optimized his one funnel in terms of paid marketing, which we have, uh, which is, again, another good thing that he's done for our company. Instead of having four marketing funnels, four channels, which, again, is a tendency that you tend to do in the early stages, optimize one, maximum two on the paid side, bring down your CAC and understand how that CAC works with your lifetime value of the user, right? So I think if you don't know the lifetime value of the user, don't do paid marketing. Uh, and if you don't have retention, mm -hmm don't do paid marketing. Uh, so now that we have that, you know, we have those two things, uh, one paid channel, and then obviously our organic growth has been very strong from our users. Uh, as I said, we hadn't built out anything for that, but we've been getting it. We are now, we've just built out a referral system. Again, over there, there are no gimmicks. There's nothing that, you know, if Ashok wants to meet somebody, has to refer somebody, that's not my goal. My goal is to give Ashok mm -hmm. that possible experience on the platform. Why should I make it into a gimmick? You know, mm -hmm. uh, there are reasons for gamification. Uh, there are good parts of how you can serve your customers better via gamification, but we haven't done that, linked that to referrals uh, on our platform. So yeah, th those are two things. One is a paid marketing channel, one that works really well for us, where we educate the users on how exactly it works. And number two is uh, strong organic growth. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, uh, the starting and the initial phases, you sailed through the challenging year, right? Uh, I'm interested to know what are the dynamics that you had to adopt uh, for these changes. And because you are being a, a virtual platform, definitely there must have been a lot of uh, positive uh, in the way that we are all working remote. Uh, so what are the dynamics that you had to change for your business and also for yourself as a founder? Yeah, so dynamics in terms of COVID, I think, were very, very interesting. So I came from, a, as I said, a very traditional business advisory, legal, all of that kind of, where I had my experiences and you know, my future goals was to be a lawyer, right? So it's a very suit-tie office yeah. kind of a process. <laughs> uh, so I think the first biggest dynamic for me was uh, having a remote team. Uh, in my mind, I always structured that we're going to have, uh, uh, always envisioned that we're going to have an offline team and we're going to work out of some co-working space or the other. So going remote was interesting. Uh, and now looking back, I don't think I'll ever do an offline team. Our team is always going to be remote uh, okay. uh, going forward. That's a decision I made. Uh, but the byproduct of that is hiring people that are bringing on people, you know, hiring is the wrong word, bringing on people that are very motivated and you don't have to really look into their day-to-day, -day, right? I, I never, okay. never have to ask my team what they're doing. You know, it's more like, a, say, hey, I'm working on this way, you're working on that. It's never like, hey, are you doing this or not? Like, I never have to tell them to work, uh, you know, and uh, to a large extent, like I'll just give you an example. Like yesterday was holy and uh, I just sent a message saying, uh, you know, obviously today is a holiday. Uh, if you guys want, you guys can come on to call uh, for the weekly team call. But obviously, everyone can take off. And our entire team showed up, right? Uh, <laughs> so I guess when people are just highly motivated about the work they do, you never need to uh, tell them anything. And that works well if you're a remote team uh, or, and can work in a remote team. So that's one of the biggest dynamics that we have to change and uh, rethink. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, being COVID, I think we had to make fundamental changes in our business structure. I think our burn rate was a little bit higher uh, pre-COVID. Uh, you know, obviously, we wanted to extend that runway till we can get more metrics, more product market fit. 
to ensure that when we do fundraise for a subsequent round, we're at a better position. So that was the second biggest change that we had to make. Uh, third thing as a founder, uh, I guess the challenge a little bit is uh, dealing with the unpredictable nature of things that are happening. Uh, and uh, that, that was good. You know, I'm really happy it happened in the early days because, you know, early days, you know, you haven't even hired your team, suddenly you're remote, you're doing all your interviews online, you're trying to pitch investors via Zoom, everything changed, right, in this period. Uh, and uh, that, that's the greatest part about it. You know, new companies in the space came up, so competition came up and having all those challenges that were otherwise played out over the next five years uh, happening in that very short stint, I guess, is like a crash course on uh, a course on what to expect. Uh, so that's okay. Uh, you know, it came with its own stresses and all of that, but uh, yeah, it's it's been great. Yeah, definitely like a crash course, right? For any uh, for startup for running new ideas. Yeah, I agree. Uh, any any instances that you feel that uh, some of the mistakes that you have done has actually given a lot of learning than the say a smooth sailing days? Any instances to share? Yeah, I mean, hundreds of instances where we've had every mistake we do learn something. So as I said, right from the start. Yeah. Building out a full-fledged product without uh, talking to your customers, biggest mistake, uh, you know, and since then we've never built a product without first talking, validating some aspect of it or launching some ad hoc version of it via uh, mm -hmm. customers. So I think that was one of the biggest mistakes. Uh, <clears throat> number two, I think early on in the hiring, we made a couple of mistakes uh, on our, uh, on our, in our platform. Like I think we are not, look we are looking for generalists rather than experts. Uh, in this field and uh, why I think that's important to have experts is basically in, a, in the early stage, the only reason you should hire uh, is if an individual lacks the skill that you lack or the people in your team lack or you're at capacity, which to a large degree, you're not going to be at the early stages. There's, you can always work a little bit more and bring out a little bit more uh, in the early stages. So the only reason you should hire is that somebody brings in a skill set that you don't have uh into your team so i think we didn't know that early on we're hiring a few generalists and uh going back i wouldn't do that again so i think those are two learnings that we've had at least in early stages okay okay yeah it makes sense uh that's good information to hear out for anyone who is learning out of their mistakes nice so with uh, this uh responsibility of being a founder and managing a team and running the show uh with a lot of things on your shoulder how do you manage your personal life and uh, how, how do you balance the time there you know, Rajat actually told me, I had given an answer last time and he was not too happy with it. So let me answer this again on the same note, uh, which is at least for me, as of right now, at this stage, uh, I'm in my early 20s uh, and I don't see the need of having a personal life uh, at this point. Uh, so I live alone uh, in uh, Bangalore. I shifted here. So there's no family and that was a conscious choice. Uh, everything I do is towards my work uh, and I don't see anything else. So, uh, for example, my brother recently got married and I didn't go for the wedding because we had too much work there. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, <laughs> you opted to. Yeah. Also, it was a COVID wedding. So, there was a little part oh, of that. Okay, okay. Uh, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I could have done more. I could have spent more time with my family. Uh, you know, and obviously, personal things keep coming up as a result. You know, friends' birthdays, they're traveling somewhere. Uh, you know, other things that I could spend time on. But, my view is that, you know, these are early 20s. I have an opportunity to actually take a risk, which I've already taken, uh, and doing even 10% of my time, anything other than my work, uh, is uh, would be not the right decision. And I don't mean this, that you work 24-7. I don't take it that way. I think you need to take breaks. Uh, but those breaks are more like 
you know, I'll watch a couple of hours of uh, TV or something on the weekend, uh, you know, read a book or whatever that is, uh, or, you know, okay. just chill. Uh, so, yeah, so that's a long answer again. But uh, my strong view is that if you're doing a startup and you want to have a personal life, uh, <clears throat> you know, just weigh the pros and cons uh, of it. Like, if you can put that on pause uh, and delay those things, like delay those trips with friends, delay the... Uh, weddings or whatever you have to attend for a couple of years uh, and you're willing to make that sacrifice, I, I do think that's a better way to go about it. But each to their own, right? Like we have Rajat who can yeah. balance on the weekends. He manages to go for like long rides. I don't know how he does it. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, different people to their own. So I need my... Yeah, you my you still have... Yeah, you still have enough time to take up uh, the other loads on the personal front. Yeah. Very early on the game. Yeah. Yeah, let me actually talk about this. Actually, Vignesh is different for me. So there's not one answer fits all to this. So that's my way of approaching True. it. I'll give you Vignesh's way of approaching it. That guy has every hour of his day tracked. He uses a tool called Toggle, uh, which is a free tool where you actually just switch it on and you track that, okay, I'm doing a podcast. I'm doing a podcast right now. And then it tracks that time. Okay. And he tracks every single waking hour of his day, right? Uh, from morning to night, everything from a tea break to the work he's doing, to coding to a conversation to a meeting. Uh, and as a result of that, I think he can work 40 hours a week or whatever that is. Uh, and he has time actually to run an NGO plus do the startup, right? He goes on the weekends to do an NGO uh, where he helps underprivileged children. Uh, and I think that hyper productivity, which he has, which not everybody can do, and I certainly cannot, uh, allows you to open up times for other things uh, as well. Okay, that's wonderful. And uh, what's one important quality that you expect any budding entrepreneur should have uh, in order to uh, bring their big big ideas, but they are still afraid to begin with? I think you answered that yourself. I think risk, the ability to take risk. You know, and I think this is something my mom has always told me that uh, everybody that she's seen and she's taken a lot of risks in her life. She started off her first business when she was 18. Uh, and then, you know, she started her next business when she was 25 and everybody around me, you know, whether I look at my uncle, uh, he started a restaurant again when he was like 17, uh, you know, and then subsequently his own business and real estate. So <clears throat> I think the biggest thing is just take a risk. And, uh, again, I understand that, uh, everybody comes from a different background, right? You might be having a job and you have to pay for your family's expenses or your own expenses. And as a result, you can't take the risk that you want. Uh, so everybody's, uh, not appetite is the wrong word. The ability to take risk uh, due to external circumstances is different. Uh, but everybody knows their own uh, ability to do that, right? So if, let's say, you need to have a job and do a podcast for, uh, not a podcast, another company for whatever reason, uh, your risk ability in that is that I'm going to take out time off my work. I'm going to work 40 hours a week. But my risk is I'm going to give up my social life so I can run this pet project on the side as well. So that's a risk you're taking right over there. But I think for any entrepreneur, if you have an idea, calculate what your risk is. Uh, if you are comfortable taking that risk, and you should be, because if you're not, then I don't know if uh, startup is the right, right space, uh, you know, jump into it. I'm not saying that you're going to be like completely risk-free and be okay. I think I have more sleepless mm -hmm. nights than anybody. Uh, but... Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think you have to be willing to take it. Yeah, that's a fair enough. Yeah, good suggestion. Nice. Uh, moving on to the next segment of this episode, uh, rapid fire questions. Let me bring on some of the questions here. What's the best thing that happened to you this month? Uh, 
we launched the uh, new product, uh, the groups feature, and has got great reception. Okay, nice. Yeah, I checked it out. It was it was it, it was really good. Yeah, the teams and uh, table connects. Nice one. Good. Uh, which book you have read recently, and uh, what did you like? Yeah, I read a book called Hooked. It's about uh, product design for uh, how to design a product and how to not uh, gamify is the wrong word, but how to build a product that users love. So I think I really like that. Hooked, the habit one, right? Yes. By Nirial, I believe. The nice one. Um, what's your favorite subject in school? What's my favorite subject? School is so far back, man. Uh, I, I don't know. I have a very general education. I never learned anything in school or college. It was a waste of time. Yeah, I, I didn't have a favorite subject, to be honest. I know I hated math, but I didn't have a favorite subject. <laughs> so you answered, uh, you have answered for me other question. What is your tough subject? So <laughs> seems yeah. to be a math. Yeah. Okay. Um, what does creativity me- means to you in one sentence? Uh, in one sentence, sorry, let me think about that for a second. Uh, yeah, sorry, I know it's rapid fire, but uh, basically looking at the world around you and designing a product uh, to cater to the needs you see. Okay, wonderful. And uh, what time you go to sleep and what time you wake up? How does your first few hours of your morning look like? Uh, there's no fixed routine, but usually I try to sleep by 10, 30, 11. And I wake up at odd times. So like uh, this month has been like sometimes 3 o'clock. My average is like 5 o'clock, 5 to 6 o'clock. Okay, super early riser. Okay, yeah. <laughs> nice. And first few hours of your morning, wh- what do you prioritize? Uh, write out all my emails that I have to, that I have to reply to, uh, to users. And uh, other than that, I usually have my week planned uh, start of the week. So I've divided up tasks for each each day and I just get to that. Okay, wonderful. And who are your mentors and how do you make that your mentors are available to you when you need them? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I'll give a longer answer to that. Uh, so my mentors are obviously our current investors, you know, people like uh, Jendra, who I earlier mentioned, Naresh, uh, and, you know, uh, certain other individuals as well. Uh, alongside that, I would also say my team is a large part of my mentors. Uh, everybody in my team, as I said, has way more experience than I do. You know, whether that's Nishant or Abhishek coming from startup ecosystem for the last 10 years, uh, Ram having 10 years again of experience. Uh, or Rajat from the marketing side, four years experience, but deep knowledge on marketing. Uh, so I guess my own team and obviously the co-founders that are there uh, are, are the people that I, I gain inspiration from and I learn the most from. Okay, that's wonderful. And uh, if you want to go back and change one decision in your uh, startup journey, what would that be? Uh, raising funding early on. Like okay, I, would, okay, fair. I would have raised it as I said earlier, yeah. Mm. Got it. Fair enough. And what's the best compliment you received so far for your accomplishment? I think I love the product. That's, that's I guess, that's the best thing. Nice. Wonderful. And the last question. For people who don't know about you and your company, uh, where should they look for? How do they find you? Yeah, so about me, uh, as I said, uh, you can always reach me on my email, vivan at worknetwork.in. Happy to answer any questions related to product or just otherwise as well. Uh, and regarding work, ne- if you just Google work network uh, or you search it on Android or iOS store, you'll be able to find the app. That's wonderful. It was a wonderful conversation. I enjoyed thoroughly uh, getting insights and experiences out of you. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. Yeah, it was great speaking with you as well, Ashok. Thank you so much for taking out the time. Thank you. Okay, we are at the end of episode number 22. 
Thank you very much everyone for coming on and sharing your experiences and to our listeners you can find out the episode summary in the description until we catch up soon with more exciting stories stay tuned be motivated thank you